Harry Wrinkle came to playwriting after teaching college English and then working as a technical writer, a career from which he retired in 2014. A lifelong devotee of art, theater, film, and classical music, he has had plays produced all over the United States. His full-length A Kreutzer Sonata about a talented Jewish piano student was awarded Best Play at the Secret Theater's 2017 Unfringed Festival and received its Long Island premiere in December 2019. Other produced plays include adaptations from Chaucer and Dante, a farce about gender-blind casting in Shakespeare, several mostly gay romantic comedies, and several one-minute plays, including a very cute one about Chopin's Minute Waltz. He is strongly interested in classical traditions in music, art, and literature. Several of his plays focus on the lives of creative people. Major figures in music and literature figure in these plays, and he is also greatly interested in the art of adaptation. Some of his plays can be found at New Play Exchange. For this reading of Failing Ephraim Colton, the role of Ephraim Colton is played by Reg Flowers. The role of Peter Garbowski is played by Tony Manzo. The roles of Alan Kelleher and a professor from Princeton are played by Stephen Bracco, with opening intros and descriptions read by Jason Cohen. Ephraim Colton, 19-20, college student black. Peter Garbowski, 40, former college professor in in the English department of a non-descript New Jersey college, white. 30 years older in the epilogue. Alan Kelleher, 50, college professor in another department, let's say fully sci, white. A professor form, 50, white, can be a blank stage but suggests a college environment time for the most of the play about 30 years ago. The first five segments are sometimes nonlinear for the epilogue today. Hello? Peter and Ephraim on the phone. Hello? Professor Grabowski? Yes. Professor Garbowski, you probably won't remember me, but my name is Ephraim Colton. I was a student in your English composition class. Ephraim, of course I remember you. What happened? You were doing so well in the class, and halfway through you disappeared and didn't finish the work. Which means, unfortunately, I I'm had no sorry, grade. I'm not disputing the grade. I was having some personal problems. Then I wish you would talk to me. Things are really bad. I'd rather not say. No, you don't have to. I was wondering, is there any chance I could finish the work now, even if I got a D? You would certainly have passed with far better than that, but I can only change a grade four months after the semester ends. I know. I read the handbook, and it's been more than six. On, on top of which, I'm no longer teaching you. Oh? Yeah, I left the college shortly after your semester. So unfortunately, there's nothing I can do. My only suggestion is that you speak to the department chairman to plead your case. His name is Kenneth Berenger Hollis, 231, phone number 609-555. So what happened? Never heard from him again. Did you ask Berenger? After what he did to me? So you weren't tenured. A lot of people aren't tenured. Last year, Delvedio sailed through my sailed through with half without half my publication. Because they like Delvegio and wanted to keep him. That's how it works. They decide they want you around, then they make up the reasons. It's not supposed to work that way. Beringer had it in for me since day one. Which is why he hired you. Look, Peter, stop licking your wounds. Cut the tides. It's over which is why I couldn't help Ephraim Colton. I never asked for special treatment. I get into one of the top schools in the country and from day one, I feel I don't belong and I'm scared I'll flunk out. So what happens? I flunk out. All these brilliant white kids with fancy wasp names like 
Quentin Clemenceau, Harrington III, and all these trust fund babies with silver spoons in their mouths and silver dildos up their ass. And they're all looking at the token black as if he doesn't belong in their country club world, which I don't. So I got scared. I'm sorry, Mr. Colton. We took a chance on you, but it appears you're really not Princeton material. Thank you, sir. Why the fuck did I say that? I walk out of there feeling this small while this old dude in his $2,000 Brooks Brothers suit and his polished wings tips and his full head of silver hair, not a wisp out of place, talks to me in these soft, polite, white tones about what a piece of shit I am. Not Princeton material. You accepted me means I am Princeton material. Just giving with one hand and taking back with the other so you can pat yourself on the back for making, making your diversity quota. Perhaps you might transfer to Camden. Not quite as demanding, but a perfectly respectable school. You think I should have talked to Beringer? To do what? Put a word into the kid. I don't know. The guy turned my stomach from day one. First meeting for incoming majors, he plops his 270 pounds at my desk, introduces himself as department chair, and says, my name is Ken Berenger. Chuckle, chuckle, or Berenzay, if you prefer the French. Boy, I bet those kids were so impressed. This guy's not only a professor, he's French. Must have been some conversation at the dining hall for weeks. So socially, he's a bit maladroit, or maladroit. Si vous préférez les Français. And then what he observed, and then when he observed me, the observer is supposed to sit down obtrusively in the back of the room and say nothing. And here's Berenze shifting his huge bulk back and forth on his chair, fiddling with his glasses, yawning, doing everything to parade his boredom. You ever see his reviews on ratemyprofessor.com? Some of yours weren't so great either. Give them all A's and B's and they love you. C's and D's, you're a lousy teacher. Which brings me back to Ephraim Colton and why I had to fail him. Because? Because all students are required to hand in all work to pass the course. That's pretty obvious. And he? It's the last four out of six assignments. So there's no problem. Of course you had to fail him. The problem was he was black. And based on his first two papers, the most talented student in my class, better than most of the other majors in that class, better than most of the majors in that class, where Berenger introduced himself as Baron Zay if you prefer the French. Did you seek him out? Who? Baron Zay? No, the student, of course. I was his instructor, not his therapist. Oh, those lines are blurred. Sometimes you got to reach out to these kids, make them feel someone's there for them. After what I went through with that semester, Rodnam stabbing me in the back after the three of us spent hours preparing my defense. Virginia O'Neill changing the vote to no at the last minute so I wouldn't get a simple majority? You think I was going to do any more than the bare minimum? So why should the kids suffer for that? He bears some responsibility. Every other student completed the work. You think he had problems in only your class? I have no idea. You remember what I told you about him at Princeton? Which he just repeated here. So you failed to reach out to him during the semester. Then you failed to put in a word with Beringer after the kid called you. I was no longer teaching there. Beringer threw me out. And you threw this kid under the bus out of your own personal hatred for Ken Beringer. 
I was more than happy to know my best student was a person of color. Oh, some kind of trophy, a feather in your cap? I don't like your implications. You could have given him an incomplete. You know as well as I, Alan, he has to ask for the incomplete and finish within the time period. So bend the rules. Put an I in your grade book instead of an F. You're being vindictive. For what possible reason? To show what a tough guy you are. Punish your best student when he's down. You volunteer the incomplete. At least you're extending an open hand. I did the right thing. I did the same thing I would have done with any white student. But he wasn't a white student. A minus. Not no, bad. Very good, especially this early in the semester. Occasionally you slip into some idioms, characteristics of black speech that are not consistent with standard edited English. So no ghetto talk allowed. Try not to use it in your college papers. I should sound more white. You should read authors like James Baldwin, Martin Luther King, Tony Morrison, black writers who speak about their black experience as masters of the language. I'm assigning Baldwin Stranger in the Village in a few weeks. And you also have a tendency towards ad hominem attacks or remarks. That's when you attack the person rather than the substance of their argument. Like saying they're stupid or racist rather than saying why you disagree? In essence. Even when they are stupid or racist. They told me that at Princeton too. Oh, I started there two years ago, but I flunked out. So I'm starting over here at Camden. Maybe a little less pressure. 30 years since I left teaching, 30 years since I found myself better suited to tech writing, now retired, and the student I think about most is still Ephraim Colton. I have no idea what happened to him. I can't find him on Facebook, LinkedIn, any other social media. Being a person John Greta at Camden, I can't look up his records and I can't ask Alan, who has long since passed. Did Evan talk to Behringer? Did Behringer cut him a break? And how could I have I failed a student who might well have received an A, especially a student of color? I hope he is well. The end. Very good, very good. Good job. Awesome. Yeah, and very much in the same vein. Uh, nuanced cultural differences, but yeah. Yeah, it's just all these contradictions, and it's just people wrap themselves, get themselves tied up in knots, you know, uh, uh, with all the contradictions. And yeah. You know, what happened to him? I always wonder what happened to um, what happens to characters and plays that I like. I wonder what happened to to to, to um, Blanche Dubois. What? Where is she? What right. happened to him? I know. Yeah. So, do you know, Larry? Yes. Do you, what what happened to him? What I happened? Know what's my question. Who? Which one? The main character to Ephraim. We don't know. Um, disappeared. Um, never, no contact, further contact with the teacher was never, yeah. never followed up. Um, 
his, his colleague uh, had passed away, so we had no way of getting any information from the school. Um, yeah. Can't find any hint of him on social media. Sort of. Now, is there a reason why you left that such a question mark? Uh, yeah, because I didn't want it to be cleared up and tied up into an easy knot. But I wanted um, Peter, 30 years later, to have always to have remembered this incident and can't get past it in his mind. You know, that what did he do to this one student? Should he have done more? Should he have done better? And would he have done better had he not been tenured or um, didn't have this um, quarrel with his department and feel that he was shafted himself? Larry. I, I love, oh, I'm sorry. No, you go right ahead. Um, I was just gonna say, like, I, I just love, uh, you know, the, the humanity in it. Like, I feel like there's so many people, I mean, all of us, I, I feel like in a sense, not in this exact situation, obviously, but I could see myself in these characters, which I, which I think is, you know, unfortunate sometimes, because sometimes we don't like to admit, you know, certain biases and things like that, even if it's because we're wrapped up in our own world. So I, I, thought, I thought that was interesting and, and well done. I just wanted to notate that. Yeah, Larry, I two-parter for you because mm -hmm. you, you are a former professor. Right. So, so number one was, what was the impetus for this? And number two was, um, have you found yourself in similar situations in the past? Because I have to imagine that anybody who's been an educator for a length of time at some point is going to reflect and regret some things and wonder about some things. And of course, care a hell of a lot about the people they've affected. So I guess that's kind of a mixed bag of questions for you, but it's, impetus... it's all the same question, isn't it? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, this is semi-autobiographical. I mean, it's it's pretty close. I mean, some of my semi-autographical stuff is 90% a lie, uh, like Brian's poems. But even so, um, yeah, there was a, there was, at my last, um, Grace semester, after I had been denied tenure and in a very bitter um, battle, where um, where I had a you know very fractious department um, in a very nondescript New Jersey college, which I won't identify. Um, I was um, you know I had this one student in the class who, in fact, um, yeah, had been had flunked out of Princeton a year or so before and he was obviously much much above everyone else in the class and yet then he all of a sudden disappeared and now but should i have made an effort to go after him should i have should he have made an effort to contact me um it's no, it still troubles me i mean i did a lot of things when i was teaching that i would have probably done very different today. I would have been a more um, responsive educator, I think, in a lot of ways. But um, given the kind of tension I was under um, teaching, which is something I never wanted to do in the first place, I, I certainly I found out um, this is what uh, transpired. So yeah, 
Um, but you know, he, he didn't finish the work and that's obviously a requirement. Um, but maybe if I had reached out to him, I could have done something for him. Um, so I'm not, I'm not letting Peter off the hook by any means in, in this play. Um, you know, I think you'd have been better served by not having the um, Ephraim be a, a, a former student of Princeton, because that, that sets him apart in some way. You mean forget the Princeton? And you, your expectations of him are grander. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he doesn't have to come from Princeton. And uh, I think you would have a, a better dramatic contest there. It would, it would be it would be more balanced, it would seem. And I think it would be closer to the point that you're trying to make about race and about education. It, it, you could try. You mean you know, just, I'm still, still looking Princeton material? Uh, I, I, pardon me? You mean just eliminate the Princeton angle? Yeah, he doesn't have to come from Princeton to make uh, the point. In fact, it skews your point a bit uh, saying that he did come from Princeton because immediately he seems like someone, uh, he, he failed, already he's failed. And the expectation is for him to fail again because people generally repeat failures, especially academically. You see, he was a, a promising student who didn't come from Harvard and then suddenly dropped out and you lost contact with him. It may have, uh, it may be more interesting dramatically. That's just uh, my impression. I'll think about that. Thank you. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, and my last thing, I, I, at least on my part, is that uh, I think in some ways it's it would we would all be remiss if we didn't look back and think maybe I should have done something better. If you're, if you go through your whole life and, and are like, no, everything I've done has been exactly great. You know, like that's when we have problems, yeah. but my I thoughts. agree with you, Isaac. I think, you know, we can all think of those cases where not so much in the cases like of an educator, cause I'm not an educator, but you know, and you say like, well, I still feel bad about that. And that happened, you know, 30 years ago, but I'm over it because I, you know, so I think when you still, you're a human and you do have feelings about things, I think that ref that's reflected in that piece, Larry. Mm -hmm. Very um, open and honest of you. Well, believe me, there are other students um, toward, towards whom I behaved in ways I wish I hadn't, um, you know, could have handled things better. Um, but it's true of every yeah. teacher, I think. Yeah, and I don't think you have to be a teacher to feel that way. I think absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. In the work world, whatever. Um, In the human world, at some point, 